Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning Rosh Chodesh Erev Shabbos. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. I am I am drowning in topics. I don't I don't even know where to begin, frankly. But I guess can you send, can you send me a light preserver? <laughs> it's crazy, absolutely crazy. By the way, you'll appreciate this because of your heritage, meaning your family's heritage. Uh, apparently, one of my relatives has the actual um, travel document. Uh, my mother, at the age of twelve and a half, left, and I'm mentioning this obviously because of the anniversary of Kristallnacht, left Germany just before Yom Kippur, 1938. So those of you who do the math, we know we're now commemorating the 80th anniversary of Kristallnacht. Uh, She and her family, one of the lucky ones, obviously, uh, that took place weeks before Kristallnacht. And as you, again, based on your family and obviously your knowledge of of the Shoah, uh, one could only, you have to shudder with fear when you think of you know, just getting out in time, just being, you know, able to go to the U.S. or wherever people ran to uh, just before the uh, the Kristallnacht, then obviously in the short period of time before the uh, complete shutdown of immigration. So as we commemorate 80 years, I thought I would mention that this morning. Well, first of all, I'm glad you're mentioning it because too few people are mentioning the 80th anniversary uh, of Pogromnacht, Kristallnacht, is a term that everybody uses, but it's not really appropriate because that was the Nazi term meant to to cover up, to diminish, uh, demean what actually happened uh, by calling it a night of broken glass, the image of crystal, uh, as opposed to what we call it pogromnacht, uh, pogrom night, when uh, unlike what the history books said, as you know, uh, we published these two volumes on the on what really took place on the Kristallnacht, the Beit Ashkenaz in Germany. I worked with them for 10 years doing the research, and in fact, many young German non-Jews helped us to visit every site, and we documented, as I said, unlike the history books that said 200, 225, 250 synagogues, which were numbers the Nazis put out as part of the propaganda to cover it, we have documented now more than 1,400 Wow. Just in Germany, not including Austria or Sudetenland, which were under Nazi control, but just the area of Germany under control on November 9, 1938. And its aftermath, 1,400, we're actually up to 1,700. But in the book, we document 1,410. And you can see the crowds around the synagogue. You see the fire trucks at the building next door to make sure that their houses weren't hurt, the, the uh, Germans, the regular Germans. And, uh, and and it's uh, a, an account of every community, sometimes just a couple paragraphs on most. But I wanted there to be a, a, a something in English because there was no history, no record in English of these communities, both how they lived and, unfortunately, about the deportations. And it's so fascinating to read it. And everybody from the president of Germany and Prime Minister Netanyahu told me that they couldn't put it down. They were so angry because they said we sat down to look through it and it becomes almost hypnotic in, in attraction because you, you realize all what was really lost, how much was lost. Up from 1933 on, and there's a reason why I'm mentioning this now, after the Nazis came to power, they right away set about building concentration camps early on. And in the research for this books, for these, the, these two volumes, we found the names of thousands of Jews who had been killed before Kristallnacht, mm. but they weren't counted as part of the six million because they died before, 
and uh, and often their ashes were sent back to a police station, and they had to redeem it, or the body had to be redeemed in money by the families. And there are sections in the in the Frankfurt Cemetery, the one that's is intact, uh, where you see that that the they were uh, they were buried. And the 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 significance is because after Kristallnacht, no one in Germany had the right to say they didn't know. Everybody saw the synagogues burning. Everybody. It was clear that it was an organized effort. So it was it, the age of denial ended right there. And the, the fact that Macron now is why it's so contemporary in my, uh, I mean, I believe Kristallnacht should be marked in every synagogue, every school, every institution. And I congratulate um, some of the project, Project Witness and others that are doing a lot to try to promulgate the message. But you saw that that Macron, the prime minister, the president of um, of France, is honoring eight of the commanders, um, uh, eight marshals, you know, field marshals who uh, commanded the French forces during World War One, and one of them is Pétain, the guy who headed the Vichy regime during World War Two. I mean, it's it is so outrageous, and the French Jewish community obviously is up in arms about it and uh, fighting it. But but they deported thousands, tens of thousands of Jews to their death, and um, and he was convicted by French uh, courts during the trial, his trial in 1945, and he was an active collaborator with the Nazis, and they went after the resistance and and gave the Jews second-class citizens, and they helped the Germans round them up for death camps. And and, and so we see that, that even in France, which uh, supposedly is, is has acknowledged their, their, um, their role and uh, apologized and everything, you see how history gets rewritten, and that somebody like Patan could be could be honored. Tell me about first. Tell me about the book. How do people obtain it? You can't obtain it. It's not. It's not for sale. It was too expensive to to produce for for mass distribution. So we did it. We we made copies. Uh, I gave one to every member of Congress to present to the institutions. We gave uh, obviously to Israel. We sent to uh, Holocaust museums and memorials. So there have to be some libraries that have it. There are libraries that have it, and um, uh, we have a limited number of copies for institutions. Uh, I regret that I can't give, we can't make it available. If somebody wants to reproduce it, it's um, it, it's there. It, it um, you know, the two big volumes. And if so, someone wants to do research based on it, uh, absolutely, con- can make it contact available. you in and your there office. Places, I mean, number of places right. that have it now. Um, you mentioned this. Uh, <laughs> The, the the murder of Jews and the redemption of their remains, um, uh, as you just mentioned at the police station. I mean, you know, just when you think you know everything about what was going on during that period of time, it's just incredible the uh, what they did to, to murder, torture, and demean Jews. And I'm not even talking about those they actually murdered, but their families, their relatives, their friends, etc. Just the whole thing is unbelievable. But I, I, I want to point out two things. The first is, you know, for those who obviously the collective Jewish pain about Pittsburgh and the point we made last week regarding you know Jews being you know, a synagogue being utilized to trap and and murder Jews um you know that that's obviously not lost on any of us uh, imagine i'm not in any way you know minimizing what happened in pittsburgh you get my point but imagine multiplying that by by how many in one or two nights you know in germany and austria i mean it, it would be unfathomable to to think of you know scenes like that and i know that they're you know only somewhat comparable in terms of exactly what went on but there were people who were murdered that night, no question yes, about it. Yes, almost 100. Yeah. And, but 
30,000 Jews were rounded up and put in camps. Right. And countless businesses, uh, obviously the shuls and Jewish institutions, but they were uh, looted and broken into and burnt and uh, many Jews in their homes. Uh, this Professor Schwartz that I mentioned to you, who uh, and I had an uncle who, who knew and was at his bar mitzvah, great uncle that I didn't obviously didn't know him. He died in the Shoah, but he uh, they told me a story that his brother, who was the leader of a, of an Aguda group in Nuremberg, opened the windows and threw the furniture out and made it look like the place had been vandalized. So when the Nazis came, they just passed by the house. <laughs> thinking that it had already been done. Unbelievable. And and he gave, this is a side note, uh, a package to their maid, a housemaid, um, to hold on to and said, you know, if they, anything happens to us, you keep these. And the younger brother, this Mayor Schmartz, was sent on a kinder transport to, to Palestine. And um, the, bro- uh, the older brother, they said, we're taking you and your youth group to another city. The other city was Auschwitz, and they were all killed. The, years later in Israel, Mayor Schwartz, who was the leading, a leading scientist in hydroponics and other things, an amazing man, received a package oh boy. from the maid. Oh boy. And in it was the card attached to the bar mitzvah gift that my uncle, great uncle, had given to that boy before Kristallnacht. And he waited for me at the hotel, and he said, I know you come here on Friday nights, and I always look for you. And he said, wait here. And he went home, and he brought me the card. First time I ever saw his name in writing or anything. Just an amazing, to me, an amazing personal, it brought it home to me so personally. Unbelievable. And I started this segment by mentioning my mother. You know, she was from Köln, and uh, with these deportations that you mentioned, 30,000 or more uh, during those two days, it, to, to say that her family could have been among them is not a stretch at all. And the fact that they were out in September of 1938, totally miraculous. And on top of that, something I mentioned earlier, Malcolm, and I, and I take the time during this segment because you know this is important, as mundane as it might sound. We played a, as we always do, we played a Galitzal Israel Army Radio newscast this morning. It ended with mention of, of Shabbat Parsha Toldot with candlelighting times in the cities of Israel, listing all the cities with their times and the ending times of Shabbat in all these cities of Israel. And if you would have told the people going through what we've just described 80 years ago that there would be such a thing and they'd be able to hear such a thing, they would never, ever have believed it. And as much as it's so hard to understand that you're living through a miracle, when you're living through the miracle, we have to make sure to constantly point it out. Absolutely. It's, uh, I always marvel at it also. And in the morning when they uh, they open with a tefillah, and, and, and I just say, you know, it's so much that we take for granted. That, you know, we can criticize about a lot of things, but it, it's just really amazing. Unbelievable. All right. Um We'll go to the midterms and get to some of the other things happening this week. Um, but I do remind everybody, your children and grandchildren need to hear a lot of what we just said in the last few minutes. Use this opportunity because it's now 80 over this weekend for Kristallnacht. As Malcolm points out, Programnacht. Um, use the opportunity to pass all these important pieces of information along and, and make them come to life in whatever way you can. Uh, whether it's personal family stories like Malcolm and I just shared or anything else uh, that will make it more real for your family. 
All right, we know that Democrats took control of the House of Representatives in the midterms. Five Jewish Democrats, reading from the JTA, are set to chair key House committees, including three from New York. Jerry Nadler, Judiciary, Elliot Engel, Foreign Affairs, Nita Lowy, Appropriations, Adam Schiff of California, Intelligence, and John Yarmouth of Kentucky, the Budget Committee. I am assuming you are rather satisfied with all these choices. I, I will have to see the performance, but um, I mean, if you can take—I I don't want to go through each one of them. Right. But obviously, the the uh, the transition is going to be a very interesting one. And um, let's say Elliot Engel, who has worked with Royce all along—I mean, they really did a partnership. It was a model of bipartisanship, and and so is um, uh, on appropriations committee where Nita Lowy will be the chair. They're very staunch supporters. Those two have most direct impact on the. U.S.-Israel relationship, although right. uh, all of these committees can do many things, and many of the chairs uh, 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 can have uh, can have influence. I'm sure Jerry Nadler, Judiciary, there will be issues that will come up uh, that will impact uh, the community. I don't know, not so much in the foreign affairs area, uh, but budget obviously does. And we'll have to see how they, you know, they're not all the same. Right. Each one is, has their own approach and, and uh, views. What is troubling is that there are some people who are elected who, who are very hostile and who, even after the election, uh, one dancing with a Palestinian flag and, and um, says that their priority is cutting aid to Israel. Uh, we have people from the extreme right and extreme left that are of concern. But overall, I think, and as I said a couple of weeks ago here, that the new Congress will be as strong and to we need a unified front in Congress to be able to stand up against, the, to, to be able to confront and deal with all these issues. And I hope between the administration and Congress, they'll be they'll find a modus vivendi to, to work together. There's too much at stake not to have it. And we, we see the, the increasing threat to the center of American politics, although, uh, you know, it is, I don't think we're, we're quite where Herb is, but we have to be always alert to that danger that, um, the, the movement towards the left or to, to the right uh, diminishes the center where I think we've always largely been located. You um, alluded to Rashida Tlaib, the Palestinian-American who won the uh, Michigan 13. Um, I, I don't remember a Jewish victor in any uh, election, local or, uh, or statewide or national, that has ever celebrated with an Israeli flag, so to speak. I think, especially on election night, everybody's an American. Everyone wants to certainly give the impression that they're representing everybody. Uh, so I thought, it was, I thought it wasn't just, you know, outrageous in terms of, you know, uh, what Jews or, or, pro-Israeli, or pro-Israel people might think of it. I thought it was just a slap in the face to the United States, frankly. Well, when you say that's your top priority, going after an ally of the United States and... Um and and you know what? When you look at the interviews with these people, uh, Cortez, others, what you find out is that they don't really know anything about the, the issues. They don't really discuss them in depth. And uh, and all those who cavort and and you know give credibility to the Linda Sassoors and others who continue along the same path, mouthing the same things uh, that they did before. Those who try to exculpate them and, and you know, deny it. it it's a reality. And, and those who, who stood with Farrakhan or the, the, any more, and those who would stand with the David Duke and those who profess, uh, you know, alt-right and other views, they all should be held to account. And, and it's not just during an election. 
and the, this is this is the time when people should do voter registration drives, not a month before an election, but now between now and the next election, which will be a presidential um, uh, on the on the national level. Right. And I think people should reach out to the new members of Congress, whether you voted for them or not. And if you think you like them or not, it's a clean slate. Start a new relationship. Build, invite them to synagogues, invite them to communities. Prepare, talk to them, educate them. Uh, you know, you can't assume they know the details because they, many of them have not had experience in foreign, in foreign policy. I'm sure they haven't visited. Uh, they will all hopefully be given the opportunity to visit Israel. But, but in the meantime, to talk to them about it, to show them why it's a priority. And, of course, your local concerns as well. Right. Um, the the I, I meant to mention this last week. The mayor of London is of the of the, is of the Islamic faith, correct? Yes. Uh, and and yet it was pretty. I thought pretty impressive. And frankly, you know, to his credit, um, you know, an effort to unify when he went, insisted on visiting a synagogue last Shabbos. You know, in the wake of what happened in Pittsburgh. So I, again, I don't know anything about his relationship with the Jewish community of of England, but at it's least, close. He has a good relationship with the, with the many in the Jewish community. So that's got to be mentioned. That, that that's you know be, I'm sure plenty of people feared you know what would happen if he would be elected as as mayor of London if he is reaching out and and if people are establishing. Well, he has had a long standing relationship since he got elected, uh, and he said very supportive things. Also, humor me for a minute. Am I right or wrong that Steve King, Iowa Republican at one time, was considered a friend of Israel? Is that not true? Well, there's no contradiction between saying things that are really offensive to Jews and sometimes being a supporter of Israel. Ah, um, I hear that. All right. So so if I'm under the impression that he was on the right side of the issues at times, it's very possible he was. It's possible. All right. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, at com on the Nachum Siegel Network, and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We should mention Bob Menendez. I know there's, you know, all the stuff about him, etc. But the bottom line is he's been there in the past, right? He he deserves uh, congratulations from us, right? Absolutely. He's been a very strong supporter, and he had a lot of support from the Jewish community in uh, New Jersey and from outside of New Jersey. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was a stand-up guy all throughout, even, you know, during the uh, years that uh, President Obama and the Democrats right. were in the White House, he was uh, always a consistent, strong supporter. And uh, Senator Gillibrand here in New York has an amazing opportunity with, I mean, in, an incredible number that she got. I think she had a bigger margin than Governor Cuomo had in his election. Uh, she has an amazing opportunity to to really do some great things in Congress, and we encourage her to be there for the community and to and to listen, as I, I think she's listened in the past, uh, to what our community has had to say. Uh, I think it's an, an opportunity. There were things that she has done that were troubling. And uh, when you have national aspirations, it depends what, how you view the, the constituency nationwide, not just New York. I hope that she will uh, revert and, and uh, be a staunch supporter and support some of the legislation now before the Senate. Uh, she did, I think, reverse on the BDS on the or the anti-Semitism legislation in the last week or so, um, but there are other bills that um, hopefully she will join support. Oh, and by the way, while we're talking politics, how about and giving kudos? How about kudos to uh, actress Alyssa Milano, who refuses to appear with people uh, in the women's movement until they condemn the uh, actions and the uh, and the words of Louis Farrakhan. 
it's, I wish more people, including elected officials and members of Congress and former presidents who, who appeared with him, not because they endorsed their views necessarily, but they would not be seen with David Duke on a the stage. They wouldn't be seen with others who, who engage in, in sometimes less serious uh, rhetoric than, than Farrakhan. And to me, the focus is not on Farrakhan, but it's but the, on those who who associate in any way with somebody who who says he's not an anti-Semite, he's an anti-Termite, and the Jews are termites essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he goes to to Iran and and joins the uh, rallies about death to America. And he said, "Well, he didn't chant it. Of course, he was there. He didn't protest it. He was part of it." And I think this is, uh, you know, there has to be consistent standards. It wouldn't be tolerated in regard to other people. It should not be tolerated in regard to him. All right, a couple of things in the Israeli elections. First of all, the Jerusalem mayor runoff will be Tuesday, right? Yes, it will be November 13th. And, I mean, anybody leading significantly, or we just got to wait and see what happens? Uh, I think you have to wait because, you know, a runoff is uh, different than uh, the general elections, although Israelis are uh, notorious for telling the truth to the pollsters <laughs> and lying at the polls right. that, <laughs> you know, you never can predict. And, you know, you have internal uh, divisions also, even, let's say, within the Haredi community, other communities about uh, about the support. Uh, Berkovich is appealing more to secular voters, but there are many in the, in the uh, even in the Orthodox community who have supported or indicated support, so it might be tighter, or you could end up with... Uh, uh, you know, a large, um, if it's a large turnout, and and it could be a significant uh, difference between the two. Should I assume that the Prime Minister has not announced a preference for this runoff? I, as far as I know, he has not endorsed. He, obviously, Moshe Leon worked for him. Right. He did endorse, uh, or appeared to endorse Elkin, and, and walked with him in the Shuk uh, on the Friday before the election, uh, and Elkin didn't make the uh, cutoff. Yeah, that didn't so work out. So I think maybe now he's just sitting it out, or... We'll Speaking of Israeli politics, Israeli police has completed its investigation into Case 3000, known as the Submarine Affair. Um, essentially, uh, there were members of uh, there were public officials, business and senior executives directly or through business and private companies suspected of having used their connections to profit from Israel's acquisition of submarines and vessels from a German corporation. Uh, they've gathered sufficient evidence against Prime Minister Netanyahu's lawyer, Confidant and relative David Shimron, as well as former Israeli Navy commander Eliezer Marom, to recommend indictments against them on counts of bribery, among other alleged crimes. And there are four others who are named in these indictments as well. Uh, on the winning side for the prime minister, he's not named. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not on, on that list. But could the fact that these six people that surround him uh, now are, are being indicted have a, have a big effect on the upcoming election? The election next year in for prime minister. Yeah, I mean, we're even thinking that, you I know. I think it's the cumulative effect at the very least, and this is of a different character than, let's say, the, the cigars or the other charges. And again, the prime minister was not named or implicated, right. implicated in this, right. but people who sat in his office very close to him were. And I think it's the cumulative effect of this that people are tired of you know, the many trials that are going on, and there's still investigations of him and the trial of his wife is ongoing. So I think that's really where uh, you will see the impact, and of course people will run, because this is of a different nature. People, when it comes to the defense of Israel, and if people were in fact guilty, we they've only been charged and there's no proof, and there's some who say that the, the case is not as strong, but Mandelblit, who is a very credible 
honest and integrous person. Um, the attorney general says that there, there are serious charges, but again, it has to be investigated. And many of these cases don't end up in conviction, so we shouldn't jump to conclusions. But when it comes to to money from the defense uh, and the security of Israel, that has a special uh, raises special concern on the part of the populace. Right. Yeah, I get that. Also, I didn't even realize that you heard about these suitcases of cash going from Qatar to Gaza. Right. For Hamas. I, I didn't even realize that there were people in the Israeli government actually, you know, claiming that prime minister, this could only have been done and only could have been arranged with the prime minister's knowledge. Is that is that feasible or is that far-fetched? No, it's not far-fetched because, wow. um, Interesting. you know, the government, the Qataris have been working and coordinating with Israel about where funding goes. We don't know about all of this cash, but, uh, I mean, I don't know about all, where all the cash ends up, but in overall... Uh, and this has been going on for some time, that uh, Qatar, um, you know, coordinated first with uh, uh, Pauli Mordechai when he was the military coordinator, and since then, and now a much more visible role, uh, because, you know, the, the collapse of Gaza is not in Israel's interest, and uh, therefore this money that goes for humanitarian, general humanitarian needs, um, Israel endorses and supports, the, um, the situation there is obviously uh, not good for, for the people who are not part of the Hamas infrastructure. The, the leaders live like kings and shop at beautiful malls, and you can see the real estate developments. But for the people, it's very difficult, and, and uh, increasingly they blame Hamas for it, not Israel. Uh, although they're not becoming supporters of Israel, not waving Israeli flags, but they... Um, they realize that the kleptocracy that, that obtains there, as it does in the PA, um, has alienated most of the people. Yeah, unbelievable. By the way, last um, last Sunday I was at the uh, Chabad Shluchim conference, and uh, I was a proud guest of Rabbi Herson, who you know. And he is uh, from Brazil, and uh, many people were congratulating him because President-elect Bolsonaro in Brazil had declared that the embassy is going to be moved to Jerusalem. Now I see he's hesitating. Well, for one thing, he they came under uh, pressure, a lot of pressure, and uh, there's a visit that's taking place to Egypt, and I think President Sisi um, wanted to postpone it or cancel it or something, and... Um, I think that that was a reaction, but his son, the president's son, um, said that they will go ahead with the, the move. Uh, he is a very, he, he was long committed to it. Right. He is, uh, I think, an evangelical Christian yeah. uh, by Brazilian definition, too. And he, um, you know, he's a strong believer in it and wants to strengthen the ties uh, with Israel. Are you on your porch in the Poconos with those chimes going on in the background? That's my phone. <laughs> By the way, how intimidating is it to speak at the Shulchim conference, a massive crowd like that? It's a very impressive. It, it really draws out of you. It's it's magnetic uh, event. And when you see the terrific work that they do all around the world, and you see people coming from the most remote places, and anybody like me who travels, you know, the the first thing you do is look for a Chabad Shalich to, to know that you can find the food or, or a place to daven. And, the um, you know, there you see it concentrated with so many thousands of people uh, somebody, coming. It's, it's incredible. So I'm laughing because somebody, based on what you just said, somebody tells me, somebody in Israel tells me this morning they're going to Cyprus for a few days 
to vacation. So I said, no problem, because according to the roll call, there's a shliach in Cyprus and there's a shliach in North Cyprus. So you're completely <laughs> covered. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. There are countries there I never heard of that are in that roll call. Well, actually, we met with the, we went to Cyprus and we had dinner and it was catered by the Chabad office in Larnaca. Wow. And, um, and it's a real operation. They have a lot of people there yeah. uh, in the shul. Would that have been Cyprus or North Cyprus? That no, would, Cyprus. That would have been regular Cyprus? Yeah. Uh, North Cyprus is Turkish. The regular Cyprus is Greece. Oh, there you go. All right. A little, uh, a little geogra- geography lesson here. Um, all right. So uh, tell me about the, um, about the sanctions uh, you had told us that this week, of course, was the deadline. It seems that pro-Israel, uh, anti-Iran deal people, including the prime minister of Israel, are pretty satisfied with what happened. Well, they're satisfied, and um, and there are positive developments, even within some of the areas of concern. Uh, for instance, on the the sanctions area, you know, there was some anger expre- <clears throat> expressed that the administration uh, allowed some exemptions on SWIFT, which is the interbank transfer system, in brief. Uh, in fact, it looks like the SWIFT will um, ban the banks, the, the uh, deals with uh, Iran, uh, there were some exemptions on oil imports, but even those countries are cutting back their uh, imports despite the fact that they have a waiver. But the waiver is meant to give them enough time to to um, to transfer the sources to find alternative sources for, for oil. Also, because they will cheat anyway, so it's better to have a record and know where they are. Also, you don't want to have such a sudden cutoff that that it, the demand for existing sources of oil. Saudi Arabia, for instance, announced that they would uh, sharply increase the amount of oil that they're um, producing. So that would, you know, that will help fill in. The United States, as you know, is not only energy sufficient, but we, we do export oil too, and we have uh, uh, resources uh, through fracking, through drilling, through other means to, to uh, add to the amount. So it's an adjustment period, but I think overall the sanctions are going to be very are very significant uh, and will have a, a strong impact. Has Israel gone ahead and already um, uh, struck with their military the Hezbollah rocket factories in Lebanon? Or are they just threatening to do so? Well, they don't publish the information about most of the strikes that they engage in. They have made clear that they will. Uh, continue to um, uh, operate in the, the interest of their security, regardless of the presence of the S-300 anti-missile system. And we don't know the degree to which the Russians are going to interfere or operate or will put on public statements, but not um, uh, but not engage in private, uh, but not but not in reality. Uh, limit Israel when it comes to 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 hitting these uh, shipments, which is in Russia's interest also. Russia does not see Iran taking over. They don't want to see Hezbollah adding to their resources. They they want to manipulate every situation. They take advantage of of every opportunity uh, for their own purposes. But the uh, but they don't want to see Iran uh, emerging as the dominant force in in uh, in. Syria, and ultimately they are going to be um, pitting against one one another in terms of the long-term uh, interests, I believe. So um, I hope that the Russia and Israel have an understanding 
and that's why the prime minister others have visited and talked to Putin. You know, he is, um, I think he would have been more flexible in the response, but it was the military who had to cover up the embarrassment for the loss of the, the, the military personnel on the plane that was downed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that dictated their harsher response. Started this conversation talking about uh, Jewish history in Germany specifically, and the uh, listener reminded me, I forgot to ask you last week, about the announcement by uh, Angela Merkel that she will not be uh, seeking re-election. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, with all the tensions and difficulties that there have been, she's been a great friend for Israel. The Prime Minister uh, expressed uh, expressed this uh, very clearly. Um, but uh, to me, the disturbing part is that this is further evidence of what I was talking about, as you know, for a long time here on the show, for a very long time, that my fear that you will not have another Merkel, you may not have another Macron, you, 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 and, or may, that the politics in Europe is becoming so divisive that those who occupied the center are are becoming dinosaurs, in, in, and the movement towards the uh, extreme left and extreme right is is becoming more and more in evidence, and the the immigration issues, all of these tensions exacerbated. And my concern always is that I look at Europe to see possibilities and trends for the United States, even though I think the U.S. is different. I think the reaction to Pittsburgh should encourage us about where the American people are. That you had hundreds of vigils all over the United States often places where you didn't have the big Jewish populations or significant populations. Uh, uh, the expressions that people reported to us on, if coming from every sector, being stopped on the street, people crying uh, to them and saying, you know, don't judge us by that. Uh, so I think America is still different, but you know, um, there are demographic changes. That the nature of the constituency is different and is changing in the United States, and we have to do much more to reach out. In the old days, we used to build coalitions. I think it's time for us to do much more of that again. To to um, and, and we've always been involved in it, but I think it has to be stepped up, that we uh, build closer ties, that educate them about who the Jewish community, because they're getting now through the Internet all the lies, all the distortions, all the... Are we much better at it than our European colleagues, or they just simply are dealing with a different type of politician? Well, they're different. They're dealing, first of all, with different demographics. In most places, you know, they have smaller mm-hmm. Jewish populations. You have historic factors that, that come into play. But, you know, human nature is the same everywhere. It plays out differently. It's affected by culture, by figures in, of importance, uh, which is why we send those who can talk to young people, sports figures and others, to Israel just to see it, to do, not to whitewash it to anything. And every one of them comes back as, as strong advocates because, you know, Israel sells itself with its flaws. Yeah. And the, and the, the difference between what they, their image of what Israel was, you know, that apartheid state, many of them told me, and they said, I, when I asked them, what is the biggest thing that you learn? They said, this is no apartheid state. They said how they were greeted, how, you know, uh, players of color and others. Uh, um, and in Europe, the, uh, you know, the political makeup is different. Uh, the historic associations are different. Uh, but we should not think we're immune from it. That's yeah, for sure. All right, way behind schedule, but very quickly, if possible, first impression, same question that the Jerusalem Post asks this morning. Which will come first, the Israeli elections or the rollout of the United States peace plan? 
uh, well, there were reports that there was going to be some sort of a rollout in the coming weeks. I don't see the evidence that that will, will take place. And frankly, I think that if there's an election, they will be hesitant to uh, to promote it. But in the aftermath of the election, they may want to have something like this um, that would a unify the parties. Everybody would be behind the peace plan if they won't agree with every aspect of it. Mm, good point. Right. Um, so we'll have to see how they judge the dynamic post-election. Right. And when you say that, you mean post-Israeli election, not post the midterms here, correct? No, I mean both. Both, I right. Mean, now, that both, we, both. now that we are post the midterms and because we have the Israeli Right. And up. the fear that if you do it before an Israeli election, it becomes a political football in yeah. Israel. Yeah. You know, that each party will try to outdo itself to say that, that this is not acceptable, that's not acceptable in the present climate. Second, you don't see any change in, in Abbas any willingness on his part to really negotiate to come into serious discussion. So those are all limiting there and other limiting factors. But it's going to be, I think, the call that the administration has to make about when they feel it's really the most timely and most impactful and will not harm the long-term prospects of its success. Uh, 80 years is a blip in history, Malcolm. We have to remind our children and grandchildren what's happened 80 years ago, in the past 80 years, and the situation that we have today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. use this Shabbos. Yes, have a wonderful Shabbos, and I thank you. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.